You're listening to Two Sons of Tatooine. If there's a bright center to the universe, you're listening to the podcast that it's farthest from. And here are your hosts, Jonathan and Nathan. And welcome back to another episode of Two Sons of Tatooine. Sadly, today, I'm not joined by Nathan because he's off this week, but I'm joined by Jared. Jared, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. And this is very weird because we rarely are able to do a podcast with someone in the same room due to COVID stuff and due to the fact that we all, most of us, live far away from each other. So this is fun. This is, I have not really done in the room much. Um, today we are talking about Light of the Jedi. It's the first book in the High Republic series. Um, so do you want to start off with your overall thoughts? Sure. Uh, this book, I overall very much enjoyed it. I felt like it was... It took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting such an intense story for the first intro to the High Republic. Definitely had me on the edge of my seat. Characters were fun, likable, and I thought the plot was... Like, the mystery was fun. It kept me thinking the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I really enjoyed it as a whole. Yeah, I, I really think that this has a great mystery uh, overall. Um, even though you kind of can see it coming with the, all the promotional information um, in that, you know, you know who the villains of the series are going to be, so when the great disaster happens, you can pretty much guess. But Charles Soule does a good job of putting that down in your mind of maybe it's not the Nile, maybe it was just a fluke accident, and they're taking control of it or something, and they're just they're taking advantage, but... You know, they put that, that little doubt in your mind, which I really liked. Um, uh, you've read a lot of the uh, Legends books. Um, uh, I know you've read the Fate of the Jedi series mm-hmm. and the New Jedi... Or, sorry, and the um, uh, Legacy of the Force. Did you ever read New Jedi Order? I did, yes. Okay. So Most of it. I don't, would you say that this book compares well with Vector Prime in that I thought it was because <laughs> yeah. Vector Prime had a great disaster it type did. thing. Um, with the death of Chewbacca. <laughs> That's not a spoiler. It's yeah. been out for like 20 years now, mm-hmm. and everyone knows that book. Yeah, Chewbacca died. Let's make sure I'm on the right page. Vector Prime is the Yuzhan Vong kind yeah. of beginning yeah. their invasion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so I thought it was funny that we also saw the characters on a remote monitoring station yeah. starting to figure out what's going wrong and ultimately dying because of it, but yeah. kind of sending out their distress signal at the last second. Exactly. And, uh, yes, I think it compares very well. Yeah, and what's great about um, this series is that it's... This is not just all novels in that you just follow them in sequential order. You have adult novels, you have YA books, you have middle grade, you have comics, you have all these sorts of things that just make it really great. And so this book is setting up much bigger scope and much more characters, whereas The New Day Order basically just followed Jason, Jaina, the Solos, all of those people, but it didn't really... Um, uh, didn't really have like expansive characters until towards the end, whereas this, you start out with like 15 different characters and you're following them all to different places and you're trying to keep track of them all. So I liked that this has more bigness to it. It really feels epic. Yes, it does. In fact, I was a little bit worried about my ability to follow all the characters Mm -hmm. at first, but I think the author did a good job of kind of giving you enough time with each of them to kind of compartmentalize them. Yeah. And, and they do a good enough job of making them each different enough that, you know, you have, you know, Loden Greatstorm has this deep voice and he's very, you know, very much like the epic Jedi Master. And Avar Chris is very much the sweet, calm, head of the operation person. 
Um, uh, then you have, you know, Skier, who's just kind of a side character Jedi, who's just popping in and out. He, he seems to be, after reading um, uh, the middle grade book, A Test of Courage, he seems to be one of those characters that he's just going to show up in everything in a small capacity. Mm. Um, uh, and then you have other characters that are non-Jedi that are in this, but it primarily focuses on the Jedi. Um, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the canon, just like every single book has been character-based and i felt that we just like there's no suspense right because it's all focused on like one character like phasma and you already know she's not gonna die because (laughs) we've seen we've seen the last jedi we know what happens with her character or you have a character like um uh tarkin and his (laughs) novel thinking and uh, tarkin was an interesting book in that we learned a lot about the mechanics of the empire but we didn't really learn much about the like character stuff like it was just like it was kind of bland whereas mm. this you get to understand it there's world building there's lots of different characters there puts you on edge no character is safe except yoda who isn't even in the book he's just referenced in the book so all new characters and so it gives you much more plot focus which is what the legends continuity had as opposed to character focus have you felt that problem here i have and i had never been able to quantify it as well as that but now that you say it i'm thinking back and i knew from the bat this book felt different to me but Mm -hmm. going back you have books like tarkin like you said there's the rogue one novelizations you know jenner so you know what happens to her before you read the books catalyst even you know what happens to all those characters Mm -hmm. so i don't think there's ever really been that kind of an element of the unknown yeah exactly and when they did do elements of the unknown like with the aftermath Mm -hmm. which was a little bit of a risk um, uh, to do something like that, they were hampered by he couldn't do a full story because 7, 8, and 9 were already happening. Right. And at the same time, he was told, you have this little space that you can work with. And they said, and, and he decided to take other risks like the the um, uh, making it second person present tense and the types of vocabulary that he used, like, herky jerky wobbly wobbly <laughs> type things like he's just weird vocabulary yeah. so it, that turned a lot of people off so that we don't we really don't have good plot based books so i'm very happy that we have light of the jedi and then it's starting this this full series and that we're getting more this year the second book comes out in june oh that's exciting. exciting yeah yeah and then i'm assuming the third book will be next year like january but they could be could be sooner maybe maybe it will be sooner maybe they'll move it up um, uh, so getting into the first part of the book, uh, talk about how you felt reading about the lead up to the great disaster. Oh man, I'm sure you, I know you felt the same way, but I got really invested even in the short time in the early characters, the captain of the ship, especially mm-hmm. I just assumed like, this is where we're going. This is the character we're starting with. Yeah. I did not suspect anything would happen to her. So I was loving reading about her and the bridge crew. I'm like, oh, this is giving me some great like Thrawn vibes here. I feel the mm, professionalism yeah. of the crew and the captain that really yeah. is invested in their growth professionally. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was cool. I'm like, whoa, yeah, family's going to colonize a new world. I kind of thought that's where the story was going, honestly. And uh, Kind of had some outbound flight vibes as well. I did, you're right. Yeah, that does remind me of it, especially. Uh, and yeah. it's also interesting that, you know, they they don't just introduce this character and then kill them. It's like you feel for the character. You, you start getting into their personal life a little bit. And Charles Soule does that throughout the first portion of the book. Is He gets you attached to characters 
and then kills them. Yeah. And so it makes you think, oh my goodness, this is really... Like, in, in the TV show Game of Thrones, they mm-hmm. they kill off the main character in the first season yeah. to show you they're not, like no one's safe. And that really <laughs> is what made the show great, was that no one was safe. Yeah. And that's what really does the same with this. Um, certain characters, if you've seen promotional material, you know, oh yeah, Avar Chris, she's going to be in the comics, so she, which take place after. So she right. can't die in this. But... Other than that, it's not yeah. like you're still on edge overall. And I'll say, even the ship, the Legacy Run, yeah. thinking back, it almost was made its own character. There's a lot of discussion yeah. about it. It's maintenance given, it's history, it's it's life, if you will, leading yeah. up to the accident. I think uh, the author did a great job, uh, I guess, making you empathize with everyone before yeah. he killed them. And it's, and it's also good because it's not just a ship. It's a ship filled with people. Right. And so they go, he goes out of his way many times to talk about how many people are on this ship. It's not mm-hmm. just your, your, oh, the captain and a few crew members, they die. How sad. Like He's like, it's an enormous ship. Like yeah. You remember the malevolence in the Clone Wars? Yes. I'm imagining a ship that size. Right. If it got hit in hyperspace and it just like stuff goes everywhere. Um, uh, I was also reminded of, and this all the description of the scene happens a little bit later in the book, but when... The Nile, you find out, the Nile destroy the um, the ship. I got very much some vibes of uh, the Star Trek movies, specifically Into Darkness, when you have Kirk's ship, the Enterprise, and it goes into warp speed, and they're like, okay, we're safe in warp. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, this just gigantic ship just like comes up behind them and shoots them out in warp, and you just right. see the ship spiral out of control. Yeah. And like its pieces are breaking apart. That's like... I think I wouldn't be surprised if Charles Soule got some ideas from that. And so I could, it was just so vivid that I could imagine what, what this was looking like. And so like, there was never a moment I was lost because everything was so clear and Mm -hmm. focused. Yeah, I agree. It was, it was devastating, but I liked it. And then you had like, that's just the captain and the people on the ship. And then you go and there's this guy who's like this tech programmer and he's wanting to ask out the Twi'lek. Because um, he's like, you know, normally we wouldn't be together, but you know what? We are yeah. all the Republic. I can, I'm going to take a chance. Yeah. And then he and the other tech, they die because the yeah. thing crashes down on them. And, and that was all in one chapter. And you're just yeah. like, wow. Like I felt, mm. I fell for him. Cause I was like, no, just give him the date. Come on. Why, uh, why do you do that? soul? I'd started to figure out what was happening. I think once they killed off the captain of the ship and we start seeing fragments coming in. And I was like, oh boy, I see where we're going now, but yeah. didn't make it any easier. And then they go to the prime minister yeah. and I'm like, oh no, no, no I thought no, he would no, die. No. I thought oh, he would sure. die too. And then it's like the third time. Nope. Yeah. Like fool me once. Shame on you. So I was <laughs> like, I was prepared for him to die and then they don't kill him. And I was like, oh. Thank goodness. Yeah. This is good. And he was a good, I, I'm forgetting his name, but he was like a good leader in that he's like, I'll stay behind. Right. I'm not gonna, I'm, yep. I'm going to go down with the planet as it were. Yep. He cared for his people. It wasn't just about the power or the job for him. And I'm, I don't know exactly what page this is on, but there's that moment when he's, he's sending out this stress signal certain that no one could possibly be close enough yeah. to help out. And then he just gets this one response that says, hello, I'm Lavar Chris. Uh, from the uh, a Jedi Knight, and we are coming to help you. And I was just like, "Oh, here we go! This is all starting." Mm-hmm. So like, it had that yes, like moment, yeah. like that that yes. little bit of hope. Like remember in a uh, Infinity War when Cap uh, catches the the spear that's thrown at him, mm-hmm. uh, and then all of a sudden all the Avengers just like slowly come in and help out. That's that's kind of how that yeah. scene played out for me. 
oh, the relief was palpable for me. It's like, at that point, I can sit back in my chair and I go, all right, I know not everyone's going to love it. It may not be great, but it's going to be okay. Yeah, it's I not going to be. It's going it's for. Like, they call it the great disaster. And in reality, it was kind of interesting that they chose that he has, like, the T-minus... 30 minutes. Yeah. And so, like, like the whole time he does the countdown, after the ship's been destroyed, and I'm like, wait a second, this is already right. a disaster. You're saying the There's great disaster hasn't even happened yet? You're just like, wow. Yeah. That's a lot. And so you see, at this point, we see the different Jedi going out to do the different tasks, and I like that they didn't just... If this was a traditional Star Wars book, they would just you just follow one Jedi Knight and the Padawan, mm-hmm. and you just follow them. But instead, we follow Loden Great Storm and his Padawan as they go to one place, and you follow Avar Chris as she's in charge of the command center, and you see these other Jedi and these um, uh, these tech workers that are you know shooting down debris, and these other ones that are like trying to determine: okay, will we go and help the people? Will we shoot down? Will we like fly around like? Right. So that you see them all on different types of jobs, and too often the Jedi are just seen either fighting in a war, or you see them trying to mediate a conflict. You don't see them just going to help out, you know, get people onto a get people onto a ship, or um, uh, try to stop something that's moving towards a planet. Right. So you got to see all these different types of Jedi jobs, which mm-hmm. I thought was cool. Yeah, it really emphasized them as public servants, and yes. you know that's kind of mm-hmm. what they're meant to be. You see them as a yeah. militant organization in the prequel movies, mm-hmm. but it's cool to see them kind of in their prime, as they say in yeah. the introduction to the book. Mm-hmm. And in like the Legends, they had the book A Cloak of Deception, where they really leaned into the fact that the Jedi were essentially more like uh, judicial officials. They were just working for like the Justice Department going around, getting two people together, saying, we're going to fix this problem. They weren't as much just keep helpers. They were keepers of the peace. They weren't just help out. And uh, I got this idea from John Jackson Miller when he said, you know, his favorite part of the prequels is when Obi-Wan does the, you don't want to sell me death sticks. Because mm. that's not a galaxy-spanning problem of this guy who's selling uh, cigarettes. He's just... Um, uh, trying to help one person with one problem in their life and right. steer them on the right path. And it's just, you see that, you know, no job is too little and no job is too big for the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally, you see the no job is too big right. in this book, but we'll get there in a second. Uh, what did you think when we got to the moment where the debris is falling and they're about to shoot it down? And yeah. then all of a sudden, the, the Wookiee Jedi, he's just going crazy, and they're like, well, what's up with him? And uh, like, they're like, does no one have a translator? Yeah. And then it's like, oh no, he says there's people on board. And that's when I was like, oh wow, yeah. that's a tough dilemma. Like, I didn't know how I would... Right. That's a hard ethical question. It's kind of yeah. like that classic example of, do you know, do you allow a train to run over three people or do you steer it to run over one? Yeah. You know, you can shoot down the debris knowing you are willfully killing someone but saving many more. Mm-hmm. That was tough because, you know, I was thinking back to you when they start getting into that scene, you're like, okay, you remember the line about how the captain dies not knowing if she saved anyone stealing off those compartments. You're like, okay, yeah. now, now I see what's happening. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't expecting them to really have the Jedi kill people, like, willfully shoot those debris, like, those pods down. But then again, I didn't feel like it was off the table at this point in the book. because, I mean, they didn't describe oceans much, but if one of those things hit an ocean, the tsunami would kill millions of people, theoretically. Mm Kind of like in real life, a tsunami, like, like if you have a, a... uh, an asteroid hit the earth yeah. and if it hits a forest or if it hits a city a few thousand people die but if the asteroid hits an ocean 
Yeah. Millions of people die because of the, the results of it. So that makes sense if, like, you know, it's just heading for one little area. Only a handful of people are going to die. You can let it hit the ground. But if, you know, you kill these 50 people in this part of the ship in yeah. exchange to save thousands of people, it's an ethical, like, it's a hard thing to yeah. deal with. And, and I think they do a very good job of, yeah. of threading the needle on that. And even the Jedi Master in charge, she, I believe she's talking about it at one point, or like it's in her monologue, but she's saying, well, we're, we don't want to kill these people, but we're going to do what the Force wills. So they're, yeah. they're ready if they have to. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's kind of antithetical to the purpose of the Jedi, but at the same time, it's, they're saving people's lives. Yeah, and, it's kind of like the Jedi, their, their higher honor is not necessarily life, although they do protect life. Their higher honor is what the Force wants, and if the right. Force desires that that life cannot you know, you can't save it, you know, they, they follow that, which is an interesting dilemma. Um, we also have, you know, Loden training his Padawan <laughs> and how he jumps out of the yeah. ship and he's already in the pound. like, all right, I'll do this. And then he's just like, thinks he's going to die. And, yeah. his pa- and his master's just holding him. He's like, we'll work on that later. And then they just jump back into the yeah. action and you're just like, Oh, poor Padawan. Yeah. Like I would, I'm so sorry. <laughs> that was a fun moment. It was like a nice, Lighthearted break and yeah, all that. Yeah, I felt like they were the more lighthearted characters. Yeah. Um, uh, I just love the name Loden Great Storm. Mm. Like, that's just such a Star Wars name, Great Storm. It's a powerful name, it, it carries authority. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, uh, I think my favorite character in the book was Avar Chris because she just was, I like the, well, I think, she, I'd say she was probably the main focus of the mm. book. Yeah. But also that. You know, she's the one that was managing everything, and she's the yeah. one that had the most unique force ability. Uh-huh. You talk about that. The force of the force descriptions in this book were fantastic. They were like Charles Soul to me just understands the force better than anyone. And when he started describing it as music, I yeah. was like, "Oh, that makes more sense." Like a lot of times, this is sci-fi. It's abstract, mm. and, or it's fantasy, however you want to say. It. And it's just like, eh, it's 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 the force. Just, just explain it away. But this time, I feel like I could almost feel what he was trying to evoke right. with it. And so I was like, oh, you see, the strings are here. The, the other music's here. They're overlapping, and she can hear it from different points in different areas. And it's louder mm-hmm. here because they're closer and things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, you had said you really liked his descriptions. Of I course. did. I almost felt like he personified it more than anything else. You know, you hear some vague references to the will of the force in other places, mm-hmm. but never... I think so direct as, you know, the force itself having an interest in events happening one way or the other. I, my mental image of it is usually as more of an inanimate energy source that some, you know, the Jedi can reach out to. I think this kind of makes it feel more alive, which I guess is Qui-Gon's the living force. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is meshing with all eras of Star Wars mm-hmm. that, you know, there's some prequel stuff, obviously, because this is closer to that than the others. But, you know, there's some original trilogy ethical questions in there as well, and as well as things that the sequels explored. Um, uh, and it's not just the force that he does really well. It seems like he gets, he understands technical aspects of how things operate. Mm-hmm. He understands, you know, plot like, there's a lot of plot going on, and it's like, I can imagine they had spreadsheets to understand everything, and the whole, there's never a point where you're like, wait a second, what's happening? Like, when he describes 
ships moving into formation and mm. I can visualize what those ships are doing. Right. Whereas with other Star Wars authors, particularly with space battles, I'm just like, right. space battle something. Oh, so-and-so died. Okay, I see that they died. Okay, move on on. Like, space <laughs> battles don't interest me. But this time I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So he, I think that's a good positive for the book. Yeah. Um, uh, and then talk about how you felt when they had the thing that was moving towards the star, this uh, is the sun, and you're like, oh, no, it's going to destroy not just Hetzel, yeah. but, like, everything in the whole system. Yeah. Like, it's going to cause monumental problems. Right. I, for one, had not considered that, like, that you'd have that kind of a dangerous thing being hauled on a ship. I didn't. Mm-hmm. That yeah. kind of destructive capacity was yeah. surprising to me. So I was like, wow, all right. Um, I, I guess I won't say I really expected it to end up in the sun. It seemed like it was going to be. But yeah. then again, they did say the great disaster. So I'm like, all right, exactly. maybe. Maybe. But, uh, maybe they'll fail. I thought the scene where the Jedi worked together to divert the fragment, uh, that was awesome. Yeah. It was it was one of those things where I feel like I'm kind of caught up in the euphoria of the force with them, but you also know there's, especially with the way you have Luke Skywalker die in, in the canon, uh, from, you know, ex- essentially force exerting himself too hard. Yeah. And I was like, all right, some people are going to probably die from this. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really have that happen, but you really had the the feeling of it. And when like, it's, it, it's, it's quite comical at one moment when you see like, it's going towards the sun and you can feel it happening. And then they all work together. It's like one, two, three, push. And all of a sudden <laughs> it goes, eh, and it just turns just a little bit. And they're like, all right, one, two, three, push. Eh. And mm-hmm. so it's like, they have to keep doing that quite often to get it to veer off course. Um, my only question was hopefully it slows down before it gets to the next star. <laughs> That's right. Otherwise it's going to destroy another system. Yeah. Um, the other aspect of that that was interesting was that even the Padawans they were bringing in, like they yeah. were like, all right, we're going to use this as a teaching moment. This is really stressful, but they need to learn. They need to be involved in this. So you see Loden and his Padawan, which do you remember his Bell. name? Bell. Bell. Thank you. Bell. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm terrible with names. Names are my, my kryptonite. Bell is just like, all right. He's like, all right, we have to do this really quickly. Here's what you do. Let's work together. And they and he uses good teaching moments. Um, he's also kind of a trial by fire in that he's just yes. kind of like, you know, throwing you in and you, yeah. you'll figure it out along the way. That's right. Um, and you kind of feel bad for all those people that like they're trying to get on the, the transport <laughs> yeah. and then the and then they won't let them on. And then the, the marauders come in and start yeah. shooting at the people. And it's just like, come on. Oh, that was horrible. Like, they just, they just, yeah. just can't win. Yeah. That was tough. You know, you see, you know, innocent people are getting just shot like that. And yeah. It's kind of gives you the feeling of grim reality to the whole situation, but it was also... Yeah, like, it shows what people would do in their worst when, like, you know, an apocalyptic event. It's realistic, yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, While the High Republic shows the Jedi at their best, you also get to see moments of other people at their worst. Um, Moving a little bit into the... Towards the end of that portion, when you first see the Nile, you see them... While the great disaster is happening, they are taking over this uh, planet and they're taking all of its resources. But they just don't—they don't just colonize it; they take and then they leave, and that planet is just like decimated. They mm-hmm. got no resources. And then when you find out that the Chancellor's cutting off the trade, you're just like, ah, oh, yeah. now that planet's not going to have any any resources at all. They—they're going to starve. But they kind of have to because you can't reopen until you figure out yeah. what's going wrong. Yep. It's funny. I don't know if this was intentional or not, but I was feeling strong parallels to like COVID lockdowns when I'm reading about like 
travel being shut off. Yeah. I'm trying to think back to when they probably started writing this, but well, they started writing it back in 2018 when oh, okay. they first had mm-hmm. their their meetings in mm-hmm. Lucasfilm, and then they worked through 2019, and this was supposed to come out mid 2020. And different books operate different ways. But usually you have several months lead time, yeah. anywhere from three to six months. So this book was probably done originally before COVID was happening. Oh, I'm yeah. sure that it was done before COVID. <laughs> and then when they pushed it back, they're like, we have another six months. Let's add in a little bit here. Maybe. Um, uh, I mean, it's, not that, it's not that hard, with a, especially with a book. Yeah. To just go in and add a scene or add in some some lines yeah. about something, so I can imagine that's it may the the quarantines itself and even even the word quarantines used yeah. that itself may not have originated with COVID, but maybe using the word there yeah. as quarantine was slightly. was enhanced because of COVID. Um, uh, what did you think of when we start getting introduced as the Nile as this? They're not world domination exactly mm. but they're 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 like i i viewed them as if hondo was actually dangerous right like an anarchist group basically yeah like exactly just anti-government trying to stick it to the powers that be mm-hmm. and uh so i i did not expect them to have like a big time role in any serious events and obviously the fact that they get so much time in the book kind of tells you all right there's probably something here but mm-hmm. uh they don't seem that big of a deal at first but it's certainly interesting because they have that nerve gas that they use that kind of i feel like sets them apart from Mm -hmm. it gives them this more like unknown edge it's like they're they're easily beat people and there's not really a you know like say even very few people survive an encounter with the battle so like okay Mm -hmm. they are they are dangerous even if they're small and they and they've got various it's not just like one species. Like the Yuzhan Bong, they just had the one species mm-hmm. and they were just world domination or universe domination really. Whereas the they're just like, you know, you wanna join our groups? Yeah, join our groups. We get more people yeah. and they had that the the hierarchy. Yeah. I liked how you had um I'm forgetting the, the terms at the Cloud, moment. storms and strikes. Yeah, I that's think. it. That's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah they start out as a cloud and then move up to a storm and then it strikes the top and you see them like Hey, I'm, like it's kind of like the, it, it's the better version of in the cheesy movie when I'm a level four cloud, let me through or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and then you had like the three main factions that all worked for yeah. the eye of the Nile. Right. They're all that, tempest runners, I think. Yeah, tempest runners. Yeah. You, he's, yeah. He's read it more recently. Yes. I read it a few weeks ago. He read it this week. So, um, uh, the, you have the tempest runners and they all kind of give a third of their tribute like a tribute yeah um uh it kind of reminds me of pirates of the caribbean when he's like i demand your tribute yes and like they just give him like a penny because they, they didn't make anything that day <laughs> and it's like you know he comes up with good ideas and he has that character who can navigate through new yeah. um uh Hyperlanes, like or, or, or uncharted hyperlanes, yeah. which was cool. It reminded mm-hmm. me of in the Thrawn books. Yeah. You have the the sky walkers, sky walkers, yes, the navigators, the navigators. I was like, maybe this is like a prelude to that. They're yeah. gonna like tie that together, which would be really cool because one be cool. is just used by the Chiss, not even the Republic. Uh-huh. So maybe at some point they're gonna realize the Republic's this is not a good idea, <laughs> and they're gonna abandon it, and the Chiss are gonna be like, we're just gonna use that idea, the Force users, and. 
I believe that the specific person that they had was an old woman who yes. was connected to... Do you remember who she was connected to? The, uh... Oh, it was a family, like the Santecas. Oh, the Santecas, that's right. Yes. And... Which was also cool, because that's another sequel tie-in that you have Laura Santeca. Okay, I, I was wondering about that. Yeah. So that is him. Well, it's, well, it's, it's not his family. him, it's his family. Right. Um, and they are on Naboo, which I, I loved <laughs> that they're in... He's describing the exact same yeah. place that in episode two you have the I don't like sand. Yeah. It's coarse and rough and gets... <laughs> they're sitting in that in that building yeah. uh, talking about it. And I was like, that's a little weird to choose that venue, but... Mm. And, and to make it the Santecas, which was... You know, we already knew that they were interested in many things. That Thor Santeco traveled the galaxy with mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker at one point. And so he knows about the Jedi. So maybe his ancestors, they know about business and the Force. And I think at one point you brought up the idea of uh, how the similarities where they use the, the droids together. What, can you describe what you were thinking with that? All you might the, have to remind me a little bit. I'm trying uh, to remember. It was... Uh, it was the droids all uh, linked together yeah. to look or to to, to 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 figure out where it was happening. Uh-huh. I'm trying to remember what it you had said. It reminded you of. I'm blanking at the moment, but I like that you see that you know he's this this tech's able to quickly come up with and yeah. be like very important. It's like right. right, protect the protect the tech. Yeah, nothing can happen to him. Yeah, in real life it would be like a cluster computer. I don't know if that's yeah. what he's talking about. Yeah, but yeah, I mean we have analogous things in our world. Most supercomputers are composed of many smaller computers so it's really you know it, you could do exactly what he described today not to calculate hyperspace routes but to calculate other big things so it's mm-hmm. a very realistic solution yeah it kind of also reminded me when uh, in age of ultron when stark's just uh in the computer in trying to change the nuclear missile codes all the time to keep yeah. ultron out of it and he's just like doing it really really quickly and i'm imagining this guy he was just working really quick all right mm. disaster over here chunks coming over here and it was it wasn't just like you know all in one system. It was like what well, this system over here right. and this system over here, and they were able to accurately predict. Um, uh, in the th- original Thrawn trilogy, the Heir to the Empire yeah. trilogy, you had the moments where they released all of these um, uh, these uh, asteroids and yeah. just let them all loose. Let seventeen of them loose. Yeah, um, <laughs> I remember that. Uh, over Coruscant, yeah. and then they have a bunch of buoys that make it look like it's astronaut. Or I mean, uh, uh, asteroids falling. Yeah, and so the first one hits, and they're like, "Oh dear, we have to put up put up the right. the, the the thing." And they can't the shield; they can't let yeah. anyone in. And they kept dry firing the tractor beams. Yeah. They didn't know how many would be. They didn't know how many would be there. And then they have someone who like is in the know. It's Talon Card, and he's yeah. legitimately trying to be helpful. Hey, there's only seventeen. You got them all. Yeah. He's he's legitimately trying to be helpful. Where this time we got the bad guy who's like, uh-huh. "Hey." I know that there's something going to fall, and I know when it's going to happen. Yeah. I'll, I can shoot it down. I can save you guys if you just give me some money. And yeah. was like, ooh, you sleazy. Oh, and I thought he would succeed at stopping the disaster. I was not expecting that to happen. He's anyways. just like, well, he is a bad guy, so it's like, yeah. okay, thanks for the money. Yeah. Uh, you guys can all die now. Yeah. Like, he's, and then, and, but it backfires on him. It does. In that now, like, everyone knows who he is because yeah. he he let the distress signal go out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can tell that that guy was a really arrogant, bad guy. He was just like, I don't yeah. care. I'm I'm doing my thing. And then at the end, he's just begging, please protect me. I'll give you yeah. all my money. Just protect me, please. And you're yeah. like, you are a wimp. Yeah. You're you're not a cool... Th- the Eye of the Nile, he was... Uh, and I'm blanking on his name. Marcia and Roe is how they pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, Roe, yeah. 
Um, uh, he's a powerful guy, but the uh, the others, it was just like, pfft. It's yeah. just like, you, you, you guys are just backstabbing cowards. Yeah. And Kasev there, the one who tried to extort yeah. Ariadu, he's described as the most impulsive of the Tempest Arnies I remember oh, yeah. from earlier in the book, mm-hmm. so it fits his it fits personality. His yeah. Um, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the Eye is, like, overthrown in... I forgot what the woman's name. Lorna uh, D. Yeah, Lorna D. Yeah, so, and she names her ship the yeah. Lorna D. And yeah. And just like, man, you are confident in your name. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of like, you know, you get... I'm just saying, oh, when you have all your passwords is the same password. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, we got that password. We just yeah. access everything, everything she has. It's like, that's probably her password for everything. Uh, it sounds thing. like it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, then you have the moment. One of my favorite moments in the book is when they're on Coruscant. And you get to see this one little piece of a mountain that remains. Yeah. And they're like sitting, they're standing at the top of the mountain. And uh-huh. they're at like the bottom of Coruscant. Right. And they're like, that's how high up everything is. Uh-huh. And they're just, uh, and it's uh, Chancellor So, uh, yeah. Lena So, with uh, with Avar Chris and uh, some others like Yariel Poof shows up, um, Opera Rancis, and a few other new Jedi show up and they're talking about the great disaster and things. And it really showed a very different type of political system. Very hopeful. Like it's, it's described as a daytime light out Mm. things like it's a good time. It's not like darkness. Like in the prequels, everything was sunset when metaphorically the end of the Republic. Yeah. And so what did you think about those few chapters where we got to actually see what Coruscant was like? Oh, I liked it. I, you know, I love my perfect societies, you know, so I I like Mm -hmm. seeing everything functioning as it should. And it makes Coruscant seem nicer because I know there's a lot more emphasis on the underworld and stuff like that and the Mm -hmm. bad things that happen in the prequels and even in like the original Thrawn trilogy Mm -hmm. where you have Governor Price ended up in the underworld for a little while. Yeah. So I, I loved it. It's it's so cool. Something I wish, you know, I could experience one day. Obviously, that won't happen. But maybe, well, maybe we'll maybe, see who it knows? in, the, in the, the Ubisoft open world yeah. game oh, that's coming out. Oh, I hope. Yeah, I have, Nathan, oh. we were talking about, he was just like, look at all the possibilities. Like, you could just be on Coruscant for hours and hours. Like, he's like, you know, I'll watch Mandalorian two or three times as a whole, and so I might right. put 50 hours in. This video game will put in like 10,000 hours or something. Oh, if they do a good job with this, it'll be everything I've been hoping for for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, he put it as like his number three highest Star Wars project that's coming out. Oh, really? Yeah. so excited. Mm-hmm. I am. I'm not a video game person, but the, the concept it intrigues me. The world building potential, the, the references they could have. Um we also with uh, Lena So she talks about her great works and they're talking about mm-hmm. oh like, the Republic's been saving up money for a long time they have the money in the reserves so they can afford to spend money and the first thing she does is the Starlight Beacon which is going to be very big in the future books but the Starlight Beacon is meant to be one thing to help with communications in the Outer Rim but also to help bring in other groups in the outer room it we, we talked a little already about the outbound flight mm-hmm. kind of aspects of it it also felt like a star trek like you know you have those um the star base yeah like they'll just build a star base in a system so that they can get um that system's resources right. and to try to bring that system in and so yeah. they have military stuff there but they also have civilian stuff and mm-hmm. in this we get a jedi temple yeah on the starlight beacon yeah i thought that was pretty cool, cool. 
Um, uh, my one problem I have with this is that on the cover, you, you'll have to look up the cover. It's We're going to make it the cover of the episode. But on the cover, you see all the Jedi, and above them is the Starlight Beacon. So it makes it seem as if they're on the planet where the Starlight Beacon is located. Oh, it does. But that never happens in the <laughs> book. These four characters never meet. And part of it is it's more of a... Um, uh, a uh, the feeling they want to get all the Jedi together because you want to see all the Jedi on the cover, which is cool, and you want to see the Starlight Beacon because that's one of the symbols of what the High Republic is going to look like. Which, by the way, I love this symbol of the High Republic. Yeah. It just the the yellow with the white and the black. It just it's it's a very it, it's used across the board for everything, which I really like, and. The, um, I was just like, this is just not an accurate, this, this happens nowhere in the book. And I'm like, you could have tried to pick a moment where (laughs) all the Jedi were together or maybe a moment they're on the beacon Mm -hmm. or something, or just don't include the beacon. If this, if the beacon was not the present, this would be a perfect cover. Yeah. Because the beacon's there, I'm just like, oh, that doesn't work with the plot. Mm -hmm. Um, but of course, if you're listening to an audiobook or reading the <laughs> reading the ebook, yeah. that that's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, uh, what did you think of the of the mini adventures that you're seeing? You see yeah. one where they're on the planet trying to help the family, and then one where you're in space and you're following um, uh, the different ships mm-hmm. uh, that are attacking the planet and the nebula, yeah. and then you have the other, which is uh, the the main Jedi. Uh, trying to track down the Nile themselves, the right. leadership. Which of those subplots was your your favorite? I think my favorite one was the family on the planet. I I, it, I would yeah. say the same thing. Yeah, it was you know the most. I guess it was the most like engaging in that there's a clear and present danger there. We're like tracking mm-hmm. down the leadership of the Nihils and more of a nebulous thing. Yeah, but uh, and you know that yeah. they're not going to reach. They're not going to hunt down the Nile. In this book, so you kind of knew there were not there wasn't as much stakes with that one, which is the right thing to do because the big thing that happens is with the group on the planet saving the family. Yeah, and I have an interesting tidbit about that. That's an audiobook exclusive, as far as I know. So you may remember when the Jedi first get a distress call about the family that there's someone calling in saying, hey, I've scanned these channels. Oh! It was the voice of Martian Rowe, like distorted a little bit, but the voice of the Eye of the Nihil. And I was like, whoa. When I first heard it, I was like, whoa. I I thought, okay, they're just recycling the voice actor or just using a similar voice. voice. That's that's what I thought it was. And then... They so reveal for, later on. Yeah, for a few minutes, I was like, wow, this doesn't make sense. And then eventually I just dismissed it. I'm like, oh, that's just me. But yeah. That's an interesting thing where sometimes authors will write things unintentionally and it'll act different. It'll, it'll come out differently. And when you have something where it's like a voice, when you read it on the page, you just read it as a voice. And then right. you go back and it's like, oh my goodness, yeah. that was Martian Rowe. And then when you're doing the audiobook, you're already like, hang on. Yeah. This is a problem. Why is he yeah. alerting the Jedi right. to the problem? So it's like he wanted them to fail. He did. And he wanted the Jedi to come so that he could capture Loden. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, man, this guy. Like, before this, you're just like, he's kind of yeah. like, the, oh, I got plans. I got plans. And you're like, yeah. 
what, what, what are you going to do? Plans you are. know what the plans are. And that's kind of my problem with the Emperor. He always seems like, oh, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. And sometimes even Thrawn, he's kind of like, I knew that was going to happen. And I'm mm-hmm. like, did you though? Right. You just seem like you... Took no steps to prevent it. Prevent so, it. So, yeah. so like sometimes he says, it's all part of the plan. And I'm like, yeah. Oh. This time though... And I was I was having the same thing, and then at the end when he's like, "Oh yeah, I just I didn't I didn't want the family," <laughs> kills the yeah. kills the dad, and you're oh. just like, "Whoa, oh, that's whoa!" Sad. Yeah. You're like, because you really aren't expecting it, yeah, and because you think up until that moment, they have they're keeping the dad alive because they yeah. want the dad as as for something maybe yeah. his his business or something, and then when he just says, "No, Loden, I wanted you," you're like, "Oh, yeah, that's that's creepy, yeah." Oh, it was. I That shook me when I heard the voice. It's not just the voice either. He, I don't know if it's written this way too, but he has pretty distinctive like pauses in his speech. Oh, in the audiobook. interesting. It's a very distinctive speech pattern. So when I heard yeah. that too, I'm like, wow. I mean, this is m- interesting. we have to give it up. Mark Thompson is just uh, the, the best Star Wars audiobook narrator. He always yeah. does an A-plus job with anything he does. Mm-hmm. But they said he spent so long... One, he had the time to because it was delayed. But he spent so long developing the voices and really making sure he got everything right. And everyone is just raving about how good his audiobooks is because it just makes everyone seem distinct. And the fact that you were able to determine just... Yeah. And it's only like one or two sentences yeah. in the distress call, and yet it's enough it that you were able to recognize it. Yep. Um, uh, other moments in the book that I thought were interesting were when the, the Jedi master dies and you realize that their Padawan is going to be left alone Mm. now. And I don't know if you noticed this, but that's going to be the story in into the dark, which is the Claudia Gray novel. It's about the Padawan. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. So you're going to get to see how that reacts to them. And you have other moments in the book. Like with what uh, when they're on the Starlight Beacon and they say, "Oh yeah," and Vernestra Rowe and uh, uh, these other even uh, are in Staros and uh, uh, this other Jedi Padawan are all there, and you're just like, "Okay, I didn't necessarily know them, but you're just listing off people uh-huh. that are there." That's the the group of characters ah. from A Test of Courage, which is the middle grade book, which by the way is also great because. Um, in a test of courage, a not great disaster, but a disaster happens, and certain big characters to that book die, and it leaves the other characters alone. And you're like, that's pretty dark for a middle grade. Like usually, you, you remember in um, Spark of uh, Star, Spark of Resistance when they're just like using, they're setting everything on stun, and you're like, would they? Though? Would <laughs> yeah. they set it on stun? Right. In that book, it's shooting to kill. Like, <sighs> That's dangerous. Yeah. Um, so that book was also... It obviously wasn't as great as Light of the Jedi. Um, did you have any other moments before I continue on to my next thing that you really that really stood out to you as vivid or really good? I think... I guess the one... My favorite part of the whole rescuing family scene was the chase. Yeah. Uh, like on horseback, essentially. Mm-hmm. I loved that. That was my favorite scene because I... Yeah, when they first got to the compound, I was disappointed that the family was already gone. I wanted to see them get saved, so I was like, "All right, here we go!" Like, we're yeah. on now. Yeah, he. It's like in the movie. In a movie, when you see like it cuts back and forth quite a lot between. Oh my goodness, I'm running over to come save you, and then you see them, and you're like, "Hurry, hurry, hurry!" Mm-hmm. And then like right when they arrive, they snatch it away. This time they were already gone by yeah. the time the Jedi get there, and you're like, "Oh no, 
they're already gone, and they're like, well, good thing we have uh, Space Horses, yeah. um, which is the cover of the out-of-print book, mm. the the book that's you know limited edition type thing, which is a beautiful cover as well. Um, uh, and it really just shows the Jedi Knights as doing epic things, which I really liked. Um, uh, I also liked that they talked about the Republic Defense Coalition, which was, I thought, similar to NATO in that each planet has their own military, and it's small, and they don't use it for offensive reasons, but if something happens, they all donate and say, all right, we're all going to band together, and our fleets are going to join into one massive fleet, and that's where all the admirals come in from Coruscant to coordinate everything. Mm -hmm. And you, you realize, oh... That's different from where in the Republic they create a standing army from the gov government. It's, it's all centralized, and all the power lies there. Whereas this, the power still lies with the individual planets. Kind of like in the United States, the power should lie with the states, but we have a one military that's a national military. So it was mm -hmm. interesting seeing a different dynamic militarily. Yes, that was. Um, uh Talking about ratings, you've read Ballpark. I know this is hard to remember. How many Star Wars books overall do you think you've read? Uh, 50 to 75, probably more like, probably like 50. Okay, so you've read, you've read quite a few of them. That's yeah. the, compared to the average Star Wars fan, that's quite a few. So you mm -hmm. know your things. On First, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give Light of the Jedi? Uh, I mean, I rarely have complaints with books, but what I'll say is... I, I love, I'm going to call it a 10 because I don't have anything I would have done differently and I, I felt like the story was just exceptionally good. Yeah. I think it could have been longer because I think all Star Wars books fall into this 270 to 420 page mm. and they're all the, in within that. There are no exceptions except like two in the EU. But in the canon, no book is long or too short. And I think that plenty of books could go the five, six hundred page route. Mm. Like in um, you know, epic fantasy they go into a thousand pages. Now, the reason you want to one necessarily want to do a thousand pages is it'd be expensive and a lot of readers don't want to invest that time. Yeah. But I feel like they could add more to the book. Like you can always add more to Star Wars books. And maybe that's because they have more planned for later. But I'm hoping that in the future they'll be able to, to add more. So I'd give this, uh, I also give it a 10 out of 10, but with the asterisk that it might change as I see the future ones. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we will announce what our next topic is, which I'm really excited for. Alright, so our next episode is also going to be a book review. Two book reviews back-to-back. -back. It's my it's my lucky day. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, uh, Jared will not be joining us again, though maybe we'll get him for the next High Republic book sure. when it comes out. But the next book we're talking about is Thrawn by Timothy Zahn. You've read it, Jared. It's a yeah. awesome book. Oh, I loved it. Nathan has finished it. He loved it, and he was sending me texts like, Oh my goodness, what about Vader? What about this? And I'm just like, I can't tell you, I can't tell you, I can't tell you, because that's the next book. And so he's already like, all right, are we going to read the next one? And I'm like, yes, I'm getting him into reading. Mike's going to finish it this week, and so that'll be a lot of fun. But uh, until next time, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Jared. And thank you for listening to Two Sons of Tatooine.